hard challenges whose purpose is to bring you towards the end, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have a hard experience and I don't want this to end. So like, you're like, I'm just digging in my sandbox. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 392 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm decrepit and old. I'm Sam and I'm slightly less decrepit and old. But I'm hey, on my this way, is a, you know, I'm trying. Uh, what? So I'm yeah, on my way, you you're know. moving toward it at normal speed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So keep it up, you'll get there. At breakneck pace. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's too fast. Oh, sorry, it's yeah, too right. fast to age. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is December 2, 2022. I love these ones. Yeah, a lot of twos this mm-hmm. time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go any further, we do have a warning there's going to be profanity in this show. So uh, I imagine that has never deterred a single person. Maybe we don't need to do it anymore. Probably not, to you be know? honest. I think you it's know, just part – it's just kind of part of the intro. It's know? just part of the show. Well, my thinking is, you know, since we do link to the podcast from the main menu of many of our games, then, you know, it's not like somebody's going to a podcast app and there's like a little explicit tag next to it. They're just like, what's this? And then we just start yeah. cursing away, you know. Yeah. And plus, like, you know, like <laughs> – because it's fine that kids play our games and will hear profanity because it doesn't hurt anybody. But kids love profanity. But if oh, the kids' right. parents find out, yeah, that's the real problem. We need when they get mad about it because you know they just can't they just can't handle the idea mm-hmm. of profanity happening around the vicinity of their child's. Ears. And then we hear about it. Yeah, but, but if it remains the child's fault because they, I mean, we t- we told them what was going to happen. You know, that's not on us anymore. Then, you know, then that's fine. We don't have to hear about it. Yeah, it's really, it's about blaming children. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what this is, intro is all Put purpose. That's the, the core message be. here. <laughs> yeah. It's the children are at fault. Yep. Uh, uh, and also, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, thank you very much for, for your monthly donations to keep yeah, the thanks. podcast going. Um, those are probably not children because uh, they don't have bank accounts. So, yep. uh, all right, now let's talk about, let's talk about some games. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, let's go. So first off, I got a real quick uh, update on the new WoW expansion, Dragonflight, which is I started playing it. It is great. That's excellent. Um, it is. I, I, I legit don't have any complaints about it. And um, this is probably the first time in, since the first WoW expansion that <laughs> I have said yeah. that. When was where, that? 2006? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, where almost every single time, you know, they've come out swinging and they're like, we have some big new thing that we're going to add to the game. And all the players are like, please don't. <laughs> because as soon as you look at, you know, the new thing that they're going to add, the cracks show immediately. And you're just like, I can see how this is going to like really mess with the core game experience. You know, it's just too much shit stacked on top of, of the game. And so uh, this time around in uh, Dragonflight, they just said, what if we don't do that? And we just return to form and just, Make the just focus on the core game, make that really, really good, and uh, have none of those extra wild ass kinds of things that we would normally do. Uh, and you can see it like they've they've had extra development time to put into just making this huge, beautiful, expansive world. There's all kinds of hilarious and fantastic quests, some quests that have been making a lot of people cry. Uh, that's how you know, that's how you know you got them. Those tears yeah. start flowing. Um, and I think the best description of it I've heard so far is is some as a, some YouTuber and he said, you know, people have been asking for a long time for WoW 2 and I think this is that. Because mm. um, everything else felt like it was trying to stack more stuff on top of WoW and this just feels like, what if it was WoW, like it originally was conceived of, but just way more fun and fluid and better and more beautiful, you know? Uh, so again, this is like, I'm it's an MMO and I'm going to be playing it sort of constantly for years, right? And so uh, I don't know if that's going to hold up. This might be one of those ages like milk kinds of statements. <laughs> uh, but so far uh, in the first week, I'd say on our did it nail it or did it whiff, I'd say for the first time in a long time, they really just nailed it wow. sort of across the board. Um, so the only, the only downside is all the new stuff is so great, uh, that, that, you know, this is a legacy problem, but like the rest of the game is still there. And every now and then you've got to go back into some of the older zones and some of the older places. 
and it's it feels like you've just some. It feels like you've kind of just walked into a different sort of shittier game. <laughs> it's, it's a ratcheting uh, fidelity problem. Yeah, yeah and especially yeah. because like the 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 big new kind of like cool thing that they that they updated is this new dragon riding um, system where like the way that you get around in the new continent is you you get a dragon at, at the beginning and it has this really cool and fun sort of like flight mechanic um, where there's momentum to it and you've got to kind of like manage you know how it is that you're pitching the thing and and it like takes corners with like some turn radius and stuff uh, but in the old game the way you flew around was you would just sort of like Go in a straight line. <laughs> you just go in a straight line and you just instantaneously be moving at a fixed speed and then you just instantaneously stop. So it, it's very much like a robot almost, right? Yeah. And so like my buddies that I had been flying our dragons around all throughout the week and we're just like, it's I mean, weird because- hooping and hollering the whole time while you're- oh, Yeah. And it's weird because anytime somebody's like, hey, uh, there's like this, you know, rare elite enemy I just found over here in these mountains, like way the fuck you know, off in the middle of nowhere. And it's weirdly exciting because everybody's like, oh, I get to fly my dragon over there. (laughs) (laughs) So people are like, yeah, they're just like zipping around and stuff. So then we've been doing that all throughout the week. And then last night for the first time, several of us went back to the old world and we can't use our dragons there. They haven't updated the the tech for some reason. Mm -hmm. And so we we all got on our dumb, like old, you know, static flying mounts and we just were like going in a straight line. And there was like a silence on on Discord for a moment and we were all just like suddenly at the same time, we're like, this feels like shit. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's kind of a problem, right? Like if you do something so well, but you – the game is so big that you can't actually sort of wholesale, you know, replace the older stuff all at once – then, uh, you know, it, there's it, a contrast. Is, yeah, it is a problem. I think, you know, we always talk about uh, life. It's the, ratchet, and, the ratcheting yeah. fidelity problem. Well, yeah, life in game dev is just about trying to choose better problems for yourself, right? You're never going to run out. So, like, do you want to, which problem do you want? You know what I mean? Do you want it to be the case yeah. that you made such a fun traversal mechanic finally after fucking 20 years that everyone's like, the rest of the game doesn't feel as good? Or do you want it to be the case that you just never do that, right? And it's it's weird that you have to ask that question, but I bet, I bet there was a, probably a big row internally when they started trying to do this thing because it does make it weird to go back to old content. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. And, and honestly, there's something that I've been I've been pondering because to me it seems like if – because this is an expansion, which means it happens at the end. Mm-hmm. So as a player, you level from, from 1 to 60, which depending on, you know, how fast you – go and how you know how good you are at the game and that kind of thing it takes you know that that could be a a 10 to 20 hour sort of journey Mm -hmm. but that's through all the old stuff and so all the new stuff you don't get to experience all this cool shit until you've Mm -hmm. gone through everything else this is actually uh, the main reason that i never even consider playing wow because Mm -hmm. i don't care about it as a historical artifact right yep. so like i don't want yeah. to play through all of the old stuff and I, and I also don't usually play games for that long before i'm just like oh i've had enough you know and so as it currently stands like i can't play wow and get to the stuff that sounds fun to me because i would have it? i wouldn't have enough fun <laughs> getting there <laughs> yeah. and i would yeah. definitely stop well before that yeah and this is and this is such a it's a problem because the new stuff is designed so well in my opinion that if they had uh come up with a way to just drop a new player right there at the start of it that player could learn the game and have a blast like mm-hmm. right away right the problem is that that area is only meant it's like balanced around uh, leveling you from level 60 to 70 and so you know a, a another player who starts there, they would just run out of quests. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to level the whole way because it's not meant, it's not meant for that. Um, And so I, you know, to me, it's like for, for existing players or for people who, you know, can get through the old world stuff, um, this new expansion just fucking nails it. If you're coming into it uh, and you don't want, you know, you want to go straight to the great stuff, I'd say it whiffs in that department because <laughs> onboarding yeah, is a little rough for a yeah because you, you get to level yeah and, you're twenty yeah. hours of onboarding. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, like every every old MMO has this like new oh, yeah. player experience problem. Well, it's actually know? any any live service game, right? Any yeah. any game that's maintained over long periods of time, um, because their main uh, goal ends up being to prevent churn, right? So it's keeping existing players around. 
And so it has to be all about, well, given that these players have already experienced lots of stuff, how do we give them additional new experiences, right? So mm-hmm. sort of definitionally, it's late game content, right? And and you see this in like in any game, even even things like Fortnite, right? Where like the core part of the game isn't really dependent on you playing, you know, 20 hours to level up or whatever, right? Um, but the game changes in these like subtle, small ways just constantly over time. And the they community do tend to make things more complex. Yeah. And the community is there the you know? whole time, right? And so the community is simultaneously establishing like community cultural uh, practices and behaviors and ways of interacting with the game. And so the, the, the population is co-evolving with the product, right? So the new player experience continues to become more and more intimidating for any live service game. And I think with WoW, what we're seeing is kind of late stage game as a service, right? Where, where the amount of content is so just fucking enormous, right? And it's all built, like we talked about last week with, if your system is a leveling system, if it's all based on growth, right? It like that. It runs out. And so that's so so WoW's whole model is like, okay, add a new chunk of growth, and that's what an expansion is, and then it runs out. Then you add a new expansion. Then, right? then you then you yeah, you kind of have to have a, a reset switch every yeah. every couple of but years since, you. Yeah, but since the existing players like need to feel like they have more late game content, then you can't reset the whole thing to zero. Which means all of your new players coming in, right, are just further and further and further. Like, and, I, and I felt this with like any game that's been out for a while. It's been that's popular. Oh yeah, where they had content, Rocket League. Like literally, any, no matter how simple it is, right, as it stays out longer and longer, um, you get into basically the attach rate sort of problem where you're trying to figure out how to, I guess, basically by trying to maintain your existing player base, you necessarily make it harder for new players to come in. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think like, wow, what I've seen is, is like what they talk about every time a new wow expansion comes out is the fraction of players who came back. Right. That's what they talk about. Yeah. It's a saturated market, right? It's, it's, if, yeah. if you haven't played wow yet, the chance of you starting to play it is very, very low. <laughs> but actually, so but it's actually the chance goes down over time because it becomes more formidable to start it. For well, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying is that, but there's also, there's a self-fulfilling problem there, which is, you know, if I think, I think in the history of, well, there's been over a hundred million people have made it's accounts crazy. and subscribed at some point. Right. So it's like, all right, here's a pool of people who some of them are still playing, but others of them tried it, got a feel for it a little bit, and then decided it wasn't for them, you know, at that time, or they you know, their friends stopped playing or, or whatever it is. And so meanwhile, there's a, an, an indeterminate pool of players who were unconvinced at any point in time so far to pick it up. And to get those players, you'd have to do something so big and crazy, but also so different, right, from, from like what the game currently is doing that yeah. it's almost impossible to engineer I mean, I think, towards that. You know? Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that if you haven't picked it up after 20 years of it being around, going through all the cycles that it's gone through, that probably, uh, unless you've not heard of MMOs before, like unless you've literally never heard of it, uh, then it's probably just not an audience that the game can reach super effectively. Right? I think it's, you're not going to have like your Call of Duty, you know, bros getting involved in, in WoW for any particular reason, right? Unless like what you when you want to put shooters in it, like I don't, it's just, it's like a different, you know, it's they're not looking for something else. Yeah, yeah. And know. that's okay, you know. Um, it's incredible that it's had that, that, that much reach over its whole lifespan, though. But um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, on the nail whiff spectrum so far, I'd say for me, nailed it completely. Um, we'll see. And then, Sam, you want to talk about God of War? Uh, yeah. Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Uh, so I got my, I have a PS4. I never got a PS5. Um, haven't really tried, but, you know, just figured it. PS4 still plays basically every new one that comes out. So I'm like, okay. Uh, anyway, that's interesting. So uh, God of War Ragnarok came out. And this, this is the sequel to the, uh, I think it was 2018 was when the last one came out, which was mind-blowing for me at that time because uh, it's basically shot as one, it's basically done in one continuous shot where you're following behind the back of the, of the character. And even through uh, these like, cutscene moments, through these incredible boss fights, through all this stuff, you, there's no transition ever um and they take it to the next level in uh ragnarok i'm not gonna spoil much but uh basically you 
they they just introduce more more characters and stuff like that that you actually get to play with and so it's like it feels like what they did with the first one is sort of like i can't like the amount of tech they had to develop to get that fucking thing to work i just can't even imagine right and then and at the end of that you're like okay we could barely put a game probably together you know with the last five months of time now that we figured out now that we've made it possible to do what we wanted to do like here's the last little bit so the sequel then feels like they literally just were able to go, you know, yeah, I mean? they like had from all the tech that. now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the experience added. of like using the tech, cause it's also its own really hard thing. Yeah. So like, as far as just, it's just like more, but on all of the dimensions. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely nails it. If you're into that kind of cinematic uh, blockbuster style, it's basically, it feels like a 30 hour movie that you kind of mash buttons through on occasion. Like right. <laughs> um, it's really, it's really something else. Uh, I will say it does get a little stale for me every so often because they do this weird thing with pacing, which happens in a lot of open world games where, you know, you're going through an area and, and this game is extremely story driven, right? Like it is story. Uh, and so you're kind of talking to characters as you're walking, you're moving towards some very particular objective that always has a bit of urgency to it. And I don't know who did the level design this time around, but they sprinkled just too many goddamn chests around the space. Okay. So it's like, you just, you're trying to go somewhere and then they keep on, it's like, it's just weird that there's just chests. Like they're like, Oh, here's a chest over here. And you're like, I don't have an interest or it feels like the appropriate motivation to go yeah, but there might be something good. Get, yeah, but there never is. It's just like some currency. And it's like, why is this here? Just bundle it up and put it in a put one of them in an interesting spot for me to find, as opposed to kind of like breaking up the flow. You know what I mean? Yeah, like just kind of feeding boring content doesn't really well, this, yes. this actually yes. reminds me of we had so many conversations about what exploration is when we yes. were working on Crashlands 2. Because it's this word that we always use when we're talking about building open world games or, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I, want, I want a game that has lots of exploration and like exploration um, as a lot of, I think, de- game designers talk about it is basically just, I hid a thing somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you sort of wander around enough, you're going to come across it. <laughs> yeah. You look um, literally everywhere. Yep. Yeah. Which to me is kind of like the least interesting mechanism of, of exploration possible um, to me, exploration like done well is more about sort of like unspooling mysteries and secrets that the player can optionally go and, and pursue mm-hmm. and having those things sort of, you know, like play out over time. But it's not just about geography. It's not just like there's a cave for you to quit, right, explore, right. which in that case, explore just means go to, right? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's learning right. to read the world ideally where you start picking up on cues and, subtle hints about kind of what is what is where and also like that you can miss stuff i think that's that's the big thing with the with the way they place all these things i got a it's like it's more on the compulsive side where they just you just see you just see chests like all the time but it's not that they're hidden in any way there's not that there's like any question about uh oh did you miss that it's like you always see them and then it's just sort of a question of like do i ignore that because i don't care about twelve dollars coming out of it or do i just <laughs> yeah, but then, but then, in the back of your mind, you're, all, you're like you're always thinking like this is a video game. Chests have valuable things in them. One of these chests is gonna have something sure, worth. Yeah, so now you just kind of have to open all of them. You yeah, open so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of this like contract, you know, between you and the designers where they're like, we went out of our way to make this secret pathway for you to figure out how to get up there and get mm-hmm. this chest. Um, so we're going to put something worthwhile in there, and then they don't, right? Yeah. And so I think there's uh, there's also a completionist aspect, right? Like leaving a, seeing a thing and then leaving it untouched is just like mind boggling for a lot of people. (laughs) So, yeah, I think the fallout games, like three in New Vegas in particular kind of have, they, they have this same problem, but they also have the good version of this at the same time. Right. Because Mm -hmm. like in the, in those fallout games, as you explore the world, you can like open every locker you see. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. And you can pick up everything. So and like, and there's like, you could sell everything, like all the junk. Right. And so you have an incentive to like literally pick up everything and open every, mm-hmm. look in every nook and cranny and just pick up everything. Right. And after a pretty short amount of time, it becomes, it feels like something you have to do and it's not very yeah. interesting. Right. But at the same time, all of the locations that you visit where this stuff is, has usually an implicit story, but sometimes it's an explicit, you know, part of a quest line of some sort. But there's always like some kind of a story. It's like you'll you'll hack it. So like every like you interact with a terminal, a computer terminal by by hacking it, and you get XP for doing that. So like there's a reason to do it, 
But then once you do, you're just like reading notes that were left behind from some weirdos, you know, 200 years in the past or whatever, right? Uh, they give you like a glimpse into like some dumb office politics or to, mm-hmm. or into recent abandoned encampments or, you know, whatever, right? And so like there's there's some story there. And as you move around inside these spaces where like the dead bodies are laid out and how like the, the environment right. is set up is all – Telling a story so that while you're out there, like doing the boring, tedious thing of like picking up literally everything or looking at every every single and managing your inventory, as manage your inventory, which I just hate. But as you're doing that stuff, though, you're doing it in this really interesting space, so that you exploring that space and doing that tedious stuff is always rewarded by the sense that like this isn't yeah, it's cool. This isn't just random. This is like there's this is a place with junk in it. You know what I mean? So like the junk is there because there's junk in places. So that's why that's there. Mm -hmm. And so, but the space itself is actually interesting and worth exploring. Right. So that when I'm playing those games, like I always go like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny thing actually. Like in those games, I never go to a place that I'm like, Ooh, that place might have stuff in it. Right. No, you want to find out what's, what's I just want to see what's over there, you know? And then while I'm there, I then happen to find stuff and I just expect it to mostly be junk because that's most of what there is. Right. But every once in a while, you're similar to something like in, in the beginning of Fallout New Vegas. There's like a there's a hotel as you start moving south, like pretty early, and you go into it, right? And it's like it's at your level, so you can kind of like fight your way through, and it's fine. But right at the very beginning, there's a there's a lock on a little safe that's like a max skill lock, right? Mm. There's no way at that point in the game you can get into that, right? And so that's so interesting, right? It's like, because going through this whole thing, mm-hmm. like, there's a whole story that unfolds as you're going through it. And like every interaction you have in this place is telling you part of the story. But then there's just this like one little, this little thing at the very beginning that like just puts a little itch in your brain for the rest of the game, right? Because then, yeah. and I still, I think to this day, have never gone back and opened that chest because by the time I get to the end, I've forgotten about it again, you know? But then every time I replay again, I'm like, oh, fuck, what is in this chest? You know? <laughs> like, what is in here? Yeah, well, I think that's the difference between these uh, these moments of embedded, uh, you know, content or embedded rewards in the mm-hmm. game world and then just gameplay rewards. And I think, honestly, like, that was my only gripe. So high level, of course, it nails it because it's just a fucking ridiculous situation. Because it's but God of War. It's God of War. But like... <laughs> But I I would say that the fastest way to improve it, if I could, would be just to Thanos snap actually probably 90% of those additional chests and stuff. Just just get rid of them. Don't yeah, I think I think the move is instead of having like a huge number of of you know things like this that are like easy to spot from the main path and then also fairly easy to get to, but also fairly oh, unrewarding. Right. Yes. It's like instead have five percent as many, ten percent as many. Have them be more elaborate to get to, and put something in there that's worth the trouble. Yeah. You know, what's well, the uh, thing is they do have those. That's like there's a different. There's they have yeah. Then just like get that. rid of the oh, rest yeah, of them. Fucking <laughs> purge these things out of here. They're ruining my pace. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a good time. It was a very good time. Good. I heard. Right, I was. I've been trying to catch up on my my feed reader from like all my RSS feeds. I'm trying to swap out that habit for some of the worst internet habits. You know. Yeah, that's a good. One. And uh, but I'm like so f- I'm like I'm like 500 articles behind across all of my feeds, right? <laughs> so it's it's been a while. So I'm like I've been kind of like flipping through it. So I've been kind of catching up with what's going on and, and what's been going on. Oh, yeah, what know? has been going on for <laughs> quite some time yeah, across <laughs> like the very like the games and the tech sectors and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I saw from a few weeks ago a story about there's an early access game that's basically 3D. Um, I should have forgot the name of it. Uh, RimWorld. Right. And to the point where in the description of the game, I think it was on a, I think it was on Polygon. They were, I think they were playing because it's in early access and they they had just released or about to release some big, you know, content patch or something. Um, and, uh, but they were to the point where they were basically talking about how it's like uh, a shame, basically it's a shameless ripoff of RimWorld, but like as mm. a, a pretty like 3D world. Right. Um, but that you get kind of all the same experiences there. So I haven't actually, I can't remember what this thing is called, um, but this is something that I think we should all I'm sure if, I'm sure if I think just about like 3D, 3D, 3D yeah, it, yeah. Would probably, <laughs> it would probably come up. Um, but it's something we might want to check because I, I think we all had fun with, with OG oh, yeah. RimWorld and I'd be really curious to see oh, yeah. what that plays like. I, st- I mean, I still play it. I played it just a few weeks ago, actually. Did you? Yeah. I, I, always get to, I always get to the point where I've, I'm starting to build the spaceship to actually like take off my colony. And then I never finish from there. I don't know why. It's just because yeah, once you that, do, you know. Actually, yeah, it's yeah. interesting, right? Because because I, I had the same <laughs> experience in uh, 
uh, Subnautica, which is still one of my favorite games, right? But like the every moment of interacting with Subnautica is so interesting. You know, speaking of like the world is just so interesting, and like yeah, sure, you're finding loot as you go, but like I don't really care about that actually, right? Uh, but I feel zero incentive to escape the planet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you kind of because the whole point is supposed planet. to be like, <laughs> oh no, you're trapped on this planet. Oh no, you need to you need to get away. You know. But I don't want to though, because the planet is so interesting. You're like, but have you seen this planet? It's yeah. so good. Yeah, it's <laughs> why would I want to leave? Yeah, which is kind of an interesting, uh, like, incentive, or I guess like story incentive, like alignment problem, actually, right? Of, of when you're doing survival games, if the end goal is to leave, then it's literally to stop it, stop having mm-hmm. fun doing the thing that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of having the end goal be some sort of. Uh, uh, Make a home. Uh, amount of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Making a home, like establishing mm-hmm. yourself in this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's, I think the, the challenge there is, of course, that like once you have survived, once, you, once you've made your home, once you're comfortable, um, the game technically, I mean, the game just is done now. It is done, right? yeah. Like, but it is true, but like, I don't know, but like, I think that like, to, as Sam experienced, like, Taking then that next step when the game is done of being like, well, see ya, and like leaving, you know, mm-hmm. like doesn't, yeah. it's like Food two, day. it's like two bad incentives on top of each other now, right? <laughs> it's like you get to the end, there's nothing else to do except not just stop playing and like leave and like walk away from the game, but like literally permanently exit, you know, this adventure <laughs> you were on. Yeah. Well, this is, so we, there was a, a post in the Crashlands subreddit just uh, a few days back. And the title of the post was just something like, I feel so empty. And, <laughs> and it was uh, a post where this person was just, uh, they had, you know, they had played Crashlands like top to bottom on mobile, just done every quest, everything that they could do. They finished the story. And this post was where they were just like, I, I want their to be more like I want to keep playing, but mm-hmm. I don't have anything else to, you know, work toward. And I, I, I think I have to be done, but I don't know what to do with myself now. Cause like, yep. I want to just keep being in this space. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I, and yeah. I mean, I felt that with any game that I was really into that did end in some way, you know, um, mm-hmm. and whether that was ending by literally ending, uh, or, or by just run out, just running out. Yeah. <laughs> I think either way, the outcome is the same where it's like, if, if it's a, and this is the same thing with like novels and stuff too, right? There's a, oh, yeah. there's a handful of novels I've read where at the end of it, I was like, bring, bring me back into the, and I was like, kind of mad about it. You know, I was like, I'm really oh, yeah. brought back into this space. Right. Um, so in, yeah. I was reading about in, uh, I think it's, I think it's a sociology term. And it's such a vague term that I wish there was an actual name for it, but it's the third place. Have you guys heard that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is like people always talk about how, you know, you've got your home life and your work life and like there's like a work-life balance that's very important, right? But but in general, people also have a third place, mm-hmm. which is not home and it's not work, but it's some th- some other place. It used to and be like it, cafes and kind of a, a bar or yeah. a, a club that you go like, you know, or church or, you yeah. know, it's it's like some some place where you go and you routinely go to have some kind of fulfillment in your life. And that's like a core, like third pillar of your life experience, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I think something that is kind of interesting about uh, a long lasting game that, you know, maybe – you know, you could play for like a hundred hours is it actually becomes your third place for some period of time. Right. And I think this is also why people, you know, binge watch things on Netflix, whatever. It's like you, you, your mind sort of like takes you to this other place. Um, and you just want to be there. You just want to stay there. Right. Mm-hmm. As long as you can. And some, sometimes those actually often those third places run out of steam. Like maybe it's a, it's a, a, a church and like you moved to a new city. And of course that church isn't there. Right. And so you have to rebuild that or, and you know, if you, maybe it's a video game that you've been playing like league of legends, right. Mm-hmm. And like your friends stopped playing. So your, your third place is gone mm-hmm. and it's not the same and you got to go find something else. Right. So, uh, I, I think and like this is something we've been talking about this, this week of, of, of Crashlands two and kind of like making sure that we're, that we're really engineering it toward a, a solid vision of what the player experience is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think it's a, it's a good goal to make a world or to try to make a game that can be that, 
you know, for some amount of time, even if like, Sam, you were talking about Cult of the Lamb the other day and how like, mm-hmm. it's like a 12, 12 hour hours, game yeah. or something. But when people start playing it, they just play like, like straight through. Yeah, it's a great space to hang out and be, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then like when it's, and like you, you know that your game has reached third place status when once people are finished with it, they feel like something is missing in their life, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, because it is like they got to they got to find something else to fill that that space, you know. Yeah. Um, well, there's you know, kind of think about it in those terms too, right? Like thinking of the thing that you're making, whether it's you know a game or not a story of some other form, right? As something that's trying to create that third place, right? A sense of a place where it feels like, and like belonging isn't even quite the right word. It just feels like you're closely associated with it, right? Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're, Mm -hmm. you're just like really in tune with that story and the, and the characters involved, whether they're real or not. Um, But trying to create that place, if like, if that's the goal, then there are some things, some like kinds of stories that are counter to that, right? And I think the one of like trying to leave is a really good example of like kind of unintentionally like because yeah. original Crashlands actually then does that right because like your goal is to because you crash land get off this planet, off the planet yeah. right but in the process of like doing that because like because I'm thinking about like when I played when I played Crashlands myself um, I never actually thought about leaving the planet right and fortunately the way that we designed all of your actual like story experiences in the moment are all about like oh like your packages are gone so you gotta go get your packages right it's it's all things that are not leaving, right? Mm-hmm. Even though that is like the overarching kind of goal. So because that goal doesn't feel like your goal, even yeah. though it's what's driving the the core story through, right? Then it doesn't actually conflict with that experience of creating that third place, oh, right? Space, yeah. But it would be very easy when you have that kind of a goal to do that. Um, or, you know, with questions too, I know we've, I'm not sure where the story is currently in terms of, and of course we'll talk about it here, but <laughs> in terms of like what the overarching goal is, right? But the difference between having the overarching goal be again to like leave versus mm-hmm. to solve some problem locally um, that doesn't have anything to do with you leaving or staying or whatever. It's just like about right. what the local problem is. Then it, and if that's kind of the thing, then we can design the rest of like the stories and experiences around establishing yourself in this yeah. third place, right? Build, building your, your roots. Yeah. You know. Instead of like – Building up your tech to get better at leaving. So <laughs> just just right, passing right. through. Uh, get better at staying. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't thought uh, about it in those terms, but that's actually an interesting sort of encapsulation. Because I, actually I feel this way too about like any game that I'm really enjoying, like Terraria, like any of these that I just that I just enjoy experiencing and like just going being stuff. in. Yeah, yeah, just like in going, in going through it is that I'm completely disinterested in like final bosses, late game content. I don't care about any of that stuff because all that is like these like hard challenges whose purpose is to bring you towards the end, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have a hard experience and I don't want this to end. So like you're like, I'm just digging in I'll my just sandbox. Not, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like just going and doing other stuff. Yep. Yeah. And this yeah. is this is something that I think it's for whatever reason, even though this is like once you once you sort of talk about this concept with people, every every person is like, oh yeah, I have that. Like I like I have a, a third place. Like for some people it's books, for some people it's games, for some people it's a specific game or like are these different community things. But well it's likely but, to be more diversified, right? Because like because just of how society works, like home and work are these like two monolithic these, entities, yeah. right? But this like third place of this other thing is that occupies. Yeah, there's and depending on who you are and what you're into and what your social circles look like, the number and variety of those third places, mm-hmm. right, can be it's huge. Yeah. It is huge, yeah. Um yeah, but like one of the interesting things about so like uh, I have I have so many uh, old WoW friends from from way back when who I haven't spoken with in, in some cases, 10 years, 15 years. Um, so many of them are coming back to play Dragonflight. And yeah. and several of them have used almost the exact same phrasing where they basically said, I feel like I'm, I'm coming home. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it's weird because that's like the closest framing we have for it, you know? But it's like, yeah. it's not your home. It's, it's your, you're like returning back to like this third place. Well, I think was, it's the same idea. It was so important to you way back then. It's the know? same idea as family, right? Which is like family is not, when you, when you like restrict the definition of family to like to the people who you are genetically very proximal to, right? Yeah. Instead of the people with whom you've shared certain kinds of experiences and have a collection of social expectations, right? About 
uh, what those dynamics look like. And, and that's the part that's constrained in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that the kinds of like what it means then to like have your have go go do stuff with your family, right? And have like a family event. What that actually means for somebody completely depends on how tightly you've defined that, right? Because it can then be a negative thing depending on how it's constrained or it can be an only ever positive thing depending on how it's constrained, right? Yeah. And I think this idea of like home is identical to that. And then this idea of like the third place as like, like part home of- may not be where you live. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's part, right. it is part <laughs> of it. You can like, have many. That's the yeah. Thing. Well, and all these things overlap too, right? Because like you're, because you'll have friendships in these third places, right? And whether or not those overlap with the other kind of pillars of like your work or your mm-hmm. uh, non-third place home life, you know, whatever, like family life and all these things, right? Um, these all kind of, because home is a place where like you're comfortable and where like some subset of your people are, right? And where you have like an established comfort and history, yeah, it's I, it's I almost say it's like it's it's where you can exist without feeling like you have to you know prove yourself or earn that right. Yeah, you know, it's a like, place you like have like a right to be where yeah. you belong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so people call you like people have like their home bar, right? It's like mm-hmm. what's well, the place? They, you know that was yeah, exactly. It's like the place they stop by after work most days. You know. Like, yeah, where yeah, everybody yeah. knows you and you know the space. Yeah. That's sort of the piece. Right? Yeah, everybody like they sleep in their apartments, but they live at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That's, their, that's their home. Yeah, uh, and and games, you know, with you, where you play with other people can can be that, like World of Warcraft, but also like a good novel or TV series can do that too, right? Because you can still experience that parasocial, uh, you know, and comfort and environment um, in that way too. So like the consequences of both, like when for some reason it ends, you know, is. Is a is well, a hollowness. You, you, yeah, you become <laughs> you become lost for a while while yeah. you're trying to find a new place to to belong. You know. Yep. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Crashlands Two. Uh, now, Sam, do you want to kick this up? What we've been doing this week, or what, yeah, what's well, happened? The, well, just what's what's happened is I think it's interesting, kind of getting into it along these lines, talking about these other large game experiences, um, because what has happened is relatively simple on the face of it, which is that over the Thanksgiving break, um, both Seth and I were, I guess you get those longer periods of time where you're just kind of, you're just thinking about stuff, thinking about the structure of things and, and get a bit of distance from the work itself on the day to day. And both of us were at the same place, which is that we were having a hard time. I've been trying to build the next kind of round of content for the game. And, you know, we talk about in dev and design, how hard it is to go from zero to one, which is the first problem. And by that, I mean a non-experience or a shitty experience to an experience that more closely is, you know, what you think the vision of the game is. Uh, and then the next trouble, which comes from going from one to two, which is to say, how do you take that and scale it? Uh, including, we talk about these growth models. How do you make a thing that kind of interacts with that baseline core well, I, I would say actually, I would say one to two is not the scaling problem. Mm-mm, it's one to like, many. Yeah, because well, one to, getting something where it's like, all right, we've 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 made like a creature for the game. Now let's make a second creature, right? Mm-hmm. That's more like a, Incremental. Yeah, it's like a testing ground where you're kind of like, you discover some cracks in your process, but you're still just doing one more thing, you know? And so it's a little bit of a refinement stage, but yeah, it's not really until you get from the the two to N. That's that's like the, the final huge jump. Mm-hmm. That is very hard to make. Yeah. And so we've been uh, positionally, we've been building out a bunch of uh, um, the remaining systems for the game in the process of kind of working toward our next milestone internally, which is related to having a boss fight. Right? Being able to do that requires all the rest of the systems of the game to be actually online, more or less, right? Because you need player growth to be able to get to a point where they could defeat a boss. You need stuff then for them to, you know, equip cool things out in the world to do more things than they currently do. Yeah, uh, a fully fleshed out zone that has everything in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that can lead to this experience. Yeah. It's so, so so really saying like, oh, we're going to have our first boss fight. It's us basically saying we're going to finish the whole first zone. Yeah. What's well, like, it saying? What does it look like? <laughs> what does it look like to go to N is actually basically what it is, right? Yeah. And yeah. and in the process of that, while the, the systems dev has been going very swimmingly, like very quickly, um, in the back of my mind, uh, I was have been trying to figure out how to think about the content part of it. So how do you think about all those extra pieces that come into the game? And the reality with something like Crashlands is that everything talks to everything. And so it's very challenging to uh, to know what to make when, because in the case of this game, you know, weapons aren't just like a random sword dropped by an enemy. It's a very particular sword made of particular components that you can see 
in the sword, which means that if you move it down the tech tree somewhere, it doesn't make any sense anymore because it doesn't, doesn't have those anymore. parts. Yeah. And so uh, it's a sort of, uh, it's an interesting wrinkle we've gotten ourselves into. We knew this, of course, because we did the first time too. Um, but it basically makes it so that as the game has become more, as our systems have gotten better for making this game that actually has a really good uh, open feel to it and an open experience, a lot of breadth that gets actually harder to answer the question of what is something made of at certain junctures, right? And this really led to uh, both Seth and I feeling this, it's like not being able to quite see what was happening. Um, and by that, I mean, like we already have like a hundred things in there, you know, in the game. Um, and just knowing how they relate to each other has been cha- increasingly challenging as there's gotten to be more of them. And then you want to talk about adding the next round of more. And it's like, I can't see far enough. Yeah, there's there's a core reason why it's so hard, which is that um, in the original game, we had a... a I would just I'd call it like a vertical progression system mm-hmm. where where we you would like be in a, a certain area of the world and there's like one or two resources that you can harvest and there's a creature that is relevant for that level. And all the stuff that you're building is built around just that, right? And when it comes time to sort of grow in power, there's always one next thing that you do, which is you build the next workstation. Yep. Uh, and and you, then you build the next tool, right? And then from there, the next workstation starts with armor, weapons, all the stuff that you need to start to power up, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, it's almost like Crashlands, the original Crashlands was a, a series of encapsulated experiences that would then have like a, a, a bottleneck that you always had to pass through, which mm-hmm. was the next workstation, to get to the next tier. Um, and in Crashlands 2, it's – we do it's have workstations. Yeah, so we, yeah. yeah, we do have workstations that open things up and we do have tools that allow, that like allow you to better harvest things and stuff like that. But it's not set up in that way where it's just like here's the next set of things. Instead, it's – it's fully branching where, you know, the player can decide what, what sort of like things to pursue and go after whenever it's relevant to them. Um, and as a result, from a design perspective, as more and more things get added, the branching nature of, of the progression has become just incredibly unwieldy for us to think about without mm-hmm. some kind of a, a, a visual map. Yeah. It's right. basically where we ended up, which is that uh, over the break, then Seth made this progression map, which uh, we've tried a bunch of different ways of mapping the content in Crashlands 2. And again, the content we have so far is the kind of that, kind of that initial salvo, not just the zero to one, but probably the one to two sort of thing. Um, yeah. And and the progression map basically becomes this way for us to actually see how a player could flow through that content, uh, given that given that it basically ends up being a bajillion different parallel or branching tracks, but they all kind of they could start at certain times, they can end at certain times. Each one leads to other things, and so figuring out how to map that was kind of um, the challenge that we've had since. Oh, I mean, since we frankly got the first round of content in, we've been trying to figure out a really good way to do this. Um, and thankfully, over the break, then Seth was tooled around some more, and I think kind of cracked cracked it in terms of delivering something that allows us to see not just the the content of the game in terms of like the weapons, the stations, but also how those intersect then with quests, which is the other fucking part, which is like, how do you then in a progression track know if so-and-so needs to give you this component from a quest before you can even build the station or whatever else? Um, It's being able to see this whole flow of how a player can uh, walk through and branch through all of this different content, the different parallel tracks they could take, uh, positions they could be in at certain points in time, et cetera, has been this kind of missing piece for us that I think that the fact that it was missing has made it so we've been focusing on more so on rounding out the systems because those are clear as far as like we can't do X or Y yet and we know we want to do X and Y. So let's just focus on the design and the tech of those, but without necessarily allowing us then to actually build a specific thing that utilizes that system. Like that's kind of where we've been for the last little bit um, because it's been yeah, yeah, or even like, the idea of of saying, okay, we know that there's going to be a creature that's like a level four creature and it's going to be in this area of the world, right? Mm-hmm. To just stub that in and mm-hmm. come up with some, you know, generic placeholder components for it to drop, like uh, where we, we have a general idea that like, all right, this, you know, maybe this creature is going to be all about, you know, fire and it's going to breathe fire or something like that. So we can just call it like fire creature, right? Yep. And just and just put that in the world. Um, we we haven't been able to do that kind of a thing because because without this kind of visual map, 
that would have just added more cognitive load. It would have added more mental overhead for us to know what it is that this thing is supposed to do. How is it supposed to fit into the flow of the game? Right. And so, um, this makes it so that, yeah, this makes it so that we can, we can go ahead and do a much more thorough job of mapping out all these different experiences the player is going to have, um, and then keep track of which aspects of this, of these paths are completed, which ones are, you know, still in draft mode or which ones are just kind of like gray boxed. Right. Um, and so yes, it's provided so much clarity and such a relief, Mm -hmm. but I'd I'd say the, the reason that it's taken us so long to, to do this, because to me, this is like, yeah, this is like the rule number one of DevOps, you know, make the work visible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we've known that this is a problem where it's been pretty difficult for any one of us because we're, our work is more distributed now, too, because our, our tools have improved where a lot a lot more people can add content to the game. But with this much interdependency of of game systems, um, if if you're trying to add content, but you don't have a full mental model of the you know, how the other 200 things fit together that you didn't add to the game. Right then how are you going to do it, right? Um, and so we've talked a bunch of times about just that this is a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we I looked into all kinds of different ways to map out information. So like there's some really interesting stuff like uh, Markdown language has a, there's a thing called Mermaid Markdown, mm-hmm. which is a, like an extended version of Markdown where you can basically make these sort of self-organizing flow charts and diagrams just out of text. And then it converts them into a visual. And so earlier in, in Crashes to development, I was experimenting with that kind of a thing. And it did work when we had the first tier of content. When, yeah, it worked when one. we had like 20 or 30 things. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we have hundreds of things, which, which is like quests and characters and these sort of like research things and crafting and stations and recipes and you know, um, now that we have all that stuff, the the mermaid diagram just basically turns into a ball of spaghetti. Yeah, you can't read it because <laughs> if use. if if every if any one thing can have you know four or five prior dependencies and it can lead to four or five other things as well, right? That if you multiply that out over a couple hundred nodes, then all you see is lines. Mm-hmm. All you see is dependency lines, right? So I started looking into all kinds of other ways to graph out uh, these like hyper-dependent, you know, kinds of relationships and nothing seemed to actually, there were, there are lots of things that look visually interesting, like yes. these kind of node maps where you see like these like nodes of different sizes spread out and they have like all these curvy lines kind of connecting them. But if you're thinking about this from a decision-making perspective, still, how are you going to use that mm-hmm. to, to make decisions about Well, this, this is right? the thing with all visualizations of information, right? And uh, anybody out there who hasn't, I, can, I don't know if we've ever talked about this in podcast before, but th- this used to be a, a passion of mine from my grad school days. Uh, but there's a guy named Edward Tuft, which I think is T-U-F-T-E, yeah. uh, who has a few uh, books about, uh, very, very nice visual books. So you'd want them in physical Visual display of quantitative information. Yeah, there's like there's that one and a few similarly named ones. Like there's there's three that are good, and there's like a weird PowerPoint one that's kind of that's very outdated. Yeah, he's <laughs> really into making beautiful visuals, not into beautiful titles of books though. Yep, yeah, but it's but it's very cool because basically he goes through and he's, he gives examples of like mostly of good visual displays of information, right? But sometimes some worse ones as as kind of counterexamples. Yeah, but there's kind of rules of thumb that get pulled out of there. But the core thing is he's just he just found these really interesting examples. And kind of put them together. And the core idea there is that the person who built that that way of viewing the information took the intersection of what is the data and then what is a person – what do I want the person who's looking at it to be able to do with it, to be able to conclude yeah. from looking at it or whatever, right? And instead of being like, okay, well, here's the kind of – charts that exist, I'll just go off the shelf, grab my bar chart and, you know, stick the bar chart on there, right? Instead of doing that, they said, okay, well, what I'm trying to make people understand is like this very specific concept because all data is specific, right? Uh, So let me like 
you know, start with this one idea, but then kind of customize every way that it comes together so that when you're looking at it, you just like instantly can like get the effect that I'm trying to trying to display, right? And I think this is the same yeah. thing where if you're talking about like graphs, like the math idea of a graph, which is just a bunch of nodes and, and lines sticking together, right? Mm-hmm. It's a that's what most things in the world are actually like. That's like the best way to actually describe most things. Just a blob of relationships. Blob of relationships. Connections. And yeah, and like these kinds of graph disc views. Um, can be really useful for certain kinds of questions. Like, which things are, like, have the most, like, which one of these are a hub, like, for a social network, right? Like, who are the hubs in this thing? And you can kind of, like, zoom out and see this really cool thing where there's, like, this giant bubbles with some, like, little, you know, lines flying off into the distance of these other giant bubbles, right? And if you're trying to then display that idea, like, that works really well. Or if you're trying to construct a thing that you're going to query and ask questions like, how does this specific thing connect to that specific thing, right? So you can see that subset, also really useful. But if you're trying to be able to see everything and do things at the same time, it's not. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. seeing everything is a custom mechanism. (laughs) I will say a a very good example of that that first description you had of like nodes that are connected to a billion nodes. If you haven't seen one of these or kind of curious what we're talking about on that kind of graph side, there's this, uh, I think it's a sub, like a subreddit visualizer thing that someone made where... Mm. You can look at how all of the different subreddit communities overlap with each other in terms of their user bases, oh. which if you're making a video game, it's actually a really good uh, pro tip for some market research stuff for video games. Um, you know, you part of what you do when you're kind of initially setting up a design is finding what other games are similar. Um, and if you're saying like, no one's ever made a game like this before, uh, then you're wrong. And, uh, you know, humble, humble yourself for a second and find them. <laughs> But once you find them, you can actually look at the subreddits for those games and see what other things they're connected to, which can also help a little bit in terms of either either describing sort of overlap in shared interests that you can you know, push into a little bit more on a particular game's design or uh, even visual style and stuff like that. But that's a really good example of that kind of graph node-based thing. Uh, but if you had to ask the question of like, okay, but what's where does the next one go uh, in that context? It doesn't really give you a good answer, It's good for statistical understanding of populations of things right? yeah but it's relationships not good for itself. for explicit design of yes like what you're of yeah. like if you're if you're in a context where you're creating those nodes and those mm-hmm. edges those lines between them um being able to see them all doesn't actually help you from a design sense i mean yeah well, you can use it to get like hints about like oh this thing yeah, is like really connected right maybe we should make things less dependent on this one thing like there's still stuff you can pull out of it from this like big picture view but when you're trying when you're down in the details, that's where like those kinds of things just don't work anymore. Yeah. And that was kind of the, the mental shift that actually finally clicked of saying, oh, here's how we need to look at this. Like, here's how we need to lay this out was up until this point, I had just been focusing on displaying how things are connected. Right. Right. It's drawing the connection lines. So like this leads to that. This leads to that. Right. But yeah, but the question is, is who cares if they're connected? What are you trying to do? Yeah, what are you trying to what are you trying to do? And what you're trying to do is you're trying to answer a question about um, if I want to if I want to add like a new creature or a new set of armor or a new quest, and I want that armor to be about you know I want it to be like roughly this far into the game, and I want it to be all about lightning damage or something like that. Um, what, what should it be made of? What kinds of creatures am I going to be fighting at that time? What characters will I have interacted with at that time? Right. And so, uh, so it's, it's less about how things are connected and it's just more about sort of like what kinds of things will the player have experienced up to that point and what kinds of things will be around them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so the progression map, uh, so I updated it into essentially it's a, it's a sequenced tier list. Uh, where it's just like, okay, you know, this is a tier three item, which means two things have led up to it. Yeah, it doesn't right? mean it's like level two. Or, exactly. Right, it yeah. means that there are two obvious hard dependencies prior to it that the player has to go through to get to it, right? So that that right there allowed us to sort of sequence all the things in the game, quests, uh, characters, components, creatures, you know, whatever, into these tiers where we can then see uh, where there are bottlenecks. We can see, you know, roughly like around the time that the player has access to thing A, they also could have access to thing B. So we, you know, we could make those things connected to each other, you know, in some way. Um, Or, oh yeah, like this, at this point in the game, there's lots of these components that are being dropped by these creatures, 
but they're not really being used for anything. They're just kind of like there, right? So let's use those, right? And so having this thing laid out like this, but then um, with the extra feature that you can click into any of these nodes to reveal its connections. So you can sort of like see the initial layout of how how things are sort of sequenced in the game, yeah. Um, but, yeah, but then interrogate it further to find the connections. That was actually the mm-hmm. and actually the, the trick. As you're describing this, I'm also thinking about how one of the things that's that's always been as we've talked about balancing things and like how to distribute stuff and figure out what's going on. One thing that's always added this like wrinkle to it as an open world game is that it's not just what the content is and how it relates to each other that defines what the player experiences. It's also where things are, right? Because yeah. you could have a tier two item that only has one of their dependency, but it's like on a part of the map, you probably won't reach for 10 hours, right? <laughs> so that's still a tier one content, right? But the cool yep. thing about this way of displaying things is that you can then introduce, because you can basically introduce like a location concept into the same thing, right? We could basically say like, because now if a resource is dependent on a location, and if even if the dependency is just like you just sort of like roughly describe like here's the center location here's like the next you just kind of describe some locations because yep. you have to walk through one to get to the next one mm-hmm. so you could create a dependency chain of like locations on the map and then if you yeah. can map the resources onto that now all of a sudden the whole system can reshuffle itself exactly yep adjust yeah, it, for now yeah, not this just is also dependencies but also like where you find them out in the world yeah and kind of the, the key to a lot of the stuff was this idea of of being able to infer how things are connected based on you know their data but then also being able to add manual connections yes. um mm-hmm. where like an interesting example is that in the so in the original crashlands we did a lot of hard gates where like if you uh have a saw but that saw is too weak then we literally just wouldn't let you use it on a higher mm-hmm. plant, a higher level plant, right? And so that's just a hard gate. And so we know for sure that you don't have access to the stuff in that plant, right? But in Crashlands 2, um, if you have a, a saw, or I guess in our case, it's more of a machete kind of a thing, but mm-hmm. um, but if you have your, your machete and then you come across a higher level plant, you can harvest it. It's just less efficient and it's going to take you longer. Um, and so it's not a hard dependency. It's not a hard gate, but even stranger is that there's there's ecology. There are creatures that are also eating this plant and interacting with it, and they're leaving behind debris. And so technically, you can collect the resources from this plant without ever getting the tool to harvest the plant. Or ever fighting a creature, maybe, because like, yeah, maybe the plant creature. explodes and kills the creature, you know, and you get its parts. Yeah, Does yeah you could get, you could technically get, at least so far, uh, you can get all the creature parts in the game without ever fighting any creatures. Now, you, it's not going to be your most efficient way to do it, because <laughs> you've got to kind of, you've got to kind of set up scenarios to get them to fight each other or lead them into, you know, death traps, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you you could do that. And so from a data perspective, there's nothing in the data that says, like, you need thing A to get thing B because they're, you know, they're fairly loose mm-hmm. in that way because of all these... And, and we're, also, yeah, we're also trying to avoid that because we want it to feel like you get to choose and, like... Mm-hmm. And that you could just like start wandering and not really engage with the content that you're supposed to be engaging with at all, right? And still like have stuff to do and be able to interact with stuff. Even if at some point like it becomes clear you really should get back onto some rough track, you know. Um, Yeah. But it's trying to let you try to do stuff and and just have that be fine, right? Yeah, because you should be able to feel clever by like jumping ahead and getting some extra materials that you otherwise – would have had a hard time getting, right? Mm-hmm. But that does mean that it's it's very hard for us to make a dependency map if there actually is no hard dependency, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've added in this, this concept of just being able to create manual dependencies where we can, for the sake of our own visualization and, and clarity, we can just declare, you know, I want to, to say that like, you need this machete to chop down this tree mm-hmm. or to get the components from this tree. Yeah, because even if it's the case, you could get them otherwise. But from our perspective, that's when you would be getting it at an efficient rate and yeah, kind of how you're tending to, right? Yep. And so it doesn't really matter that you can get it in other ways. It's a soft yeah. progression prior. Yeah. So the same thing like with these locations where it's like, okay, let's say, you know, there's a, a, a quest that, you know, like does something to like really open up access to this location. Um, and you could actually get there through some other means, but it'll be like way harder and you won't be ready and blah, 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 right? Then 
that's a really hard thing to kind of detect automatically just by combing through the data. But yeah, we could just make a manual connection there. We'd say, all right, this location is dependent on this quest, Mm -hmm. right? And then boom, that location shifts forward on the map. And then we can say like, oh yeah, these resources spawn in this location. So then those resources shift forward in tiers. And And that doesn't mean you can't put like, because yeah, because it's all about like the overarching. And this is the thing we've always struggled with, right? Because it's like, in a lot of games, let's take like Valheim, right? Where open world crafting, same core underlying principle, right? Uh, you can go anywhere. Um, and the way that they do it though is that they're, it is very uh, much more like Crashlands one style, you know, tiered content. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing is stopping you from going from like, from, from a lot of, cause like, yeah, if you don't have a boat, what you need, you know, certain resources to make, you're not going to go across the ocean to a new biome that's mm-hmm. not available to you, right? But you can actually end up on a random map that has all the biomes right on it. So you don't even need a boat at all, actually, right? Uh, so so that means that they – and because, like, the biomes are just next to each other, it's like, well, here's a mountain you can start trying to climb up. Here's, like, a desert you could walk into, right? It doesn't make sense to put, like, an artificial boundary there, right? Mm-hmm. So there isn't one. You can just go out and do that stuff, right? It's just that yeah, as you it. move into the part <laughs> where they want you to start climbing the mountain because that's where the iron ore is, right? Mm-hmm. That's also when you're able to put ingredients together to make potions that uh, protect you against the cold, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. also when you get to the tier of equipment where you can put on like a heavy coat that also – so basically now there's a cold debuff concept that they added in so that in that space, you just get cold. And so, yeah, you can do it, but there's like a natural sort of soft gate. And like you could just like down potions and like and just like fight your way through the like most ridiculous slog in the universe just to like get a little bit of iron just ore to very see if early, you can right? Do it, yeah. Yeah, or like get a few creature parts that you're not technically supposed to have and like and potentially then kind of like jump really far ahead mm-hmm. across some things that were intended for you to kind of work, work your way more slowly through. But it would have been so like hard and interesting yep. to do that. And the end outcome is that because it's not what the how we designed it or how they designed it, right? That you don't you don't just have the full armor set now, right? You don't it's still it's yeah, still you're not nothing quite, like you're not the quite ready. Experience. If you're not quite ready to collect the stuff efficiently, then you're probably also not ready to actually utilize, utilize it, it effectively. Yeah. So. yeah. And so this is like this is the kind of the cool stuff of how you can like create these soft gates, but you need these kinds of displays of where there's some combination of like automatic hard gate that explains the the dependency relationship between things, right? And also the design intended more soft, like not really built into the data exactly, you know, yeah. like locations, yeah, like the fact that you'll freeze to death, like this kind of stuff, right? Um, where you can put those in place where it's like, okay, yeah, technically that's a soft boundary. The player could work through it, right? Yeah. But it's okay because like, we don't care. It's fine, right? Mm-hmm. If they get out, get out of the lane a bit. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like there's a... A thing that happens at Valheim where, like, you build a boat and then a pop-up is like, congratulations, you've unlocked iron, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's – effectively, that is kind of what happens, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but – It's soft. It, there's nothing – there's nothing in the game's data or code that would be a, declare, a declaration that that is like – that that is what the, the gate is. That's mm-hmm. what the unlock is, right? So, so yeah, so being able to just say from a design perspective in a progression tree or something like, okay, you know, boats lead to mountains, which leads to iron. But to get up the mountains, you need some way to get through the cold. So iron is dependent on cold resistance and boats, mm-hmm. right? And so like being yeah. able to follow these trails. Yeah, right? even it's if it's not useful. strictly true, right? It's true enough. It's true by, enough to be useful. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's true enough by like the golden path. Because if you think of this from like a, so the idea of a golden path through design is like, it's like basically the path that you design for somebody, right? So like on, if it's a web UI or whatever, it's like, okay, a user clicks the sided button and they type in their thing, you know, right? But in real life, of course, when a person action reacts with that, they're going to scroll up and down, like go check an about page. Like they're actually going to do other stuff, right? And in, I think in a game design, you're dealing with the same thing, which is there's the golden path. There's the experience that you're trying to create. And then the question is, how do we allow for deviations off of that path without that like somehow being so fundamentally bad and like counter to the golden path's design that we then have to force that to not happen, Right. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and we, we built this tool as soon as we could see everything laid out. We had several dozen, oh my God, kinds of realizations and moments about certain things that had always felt off, but we couldn't quite place why. And, you know, got those reshuffled and we've moved tons of things around. We got 
how many new items stubbed in already? Like, yeah, it's like 20 or 30. <laughs> 20 or 30 <laughs> in just a couple of days. Um, yeah, and so it's it's felt like, you know, we've built all these new tools with the Game Changer that's allowed us to to develop a, a very uh, comp, a large set of complex data. Mm-hmm. But just because you have the technical capability to do that doesn't mean that you have the, uh, the, the tools to design it and to see it and to collaborate on it. And so we're, that's kind of the, the phase that we're shifting into a little bit is, is, you know, shoring that up so that we can rapidly take advantage of all of this, you know, tech that we've been working on. So, uh, it's been a, it's been a wild time. I'm sure there'll be even more wild stuff, you know, over the next week. Uh, but that is all the time we have for this episode. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa Acosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.